This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Before I get into this episode, I need to explain and apologize for the delay in releasing episode 7. Ten years ago, my life was changed in the most positive way imaginable when I met my German shepherd pup Semper. Over these years, he's literally been my shadow, getting me through some incredibly tough times when I was at my lowest by always just being there. And I mean always. I don't think he's left my peripheral vision for more than a few moments in all those years. Scrolling through the photos on my phone, you'll always be able to see at least a part of him in every shot. An ear, a foot, an oversized head. Two weeks ago, he suddenly collapsed. In the middle of the night, I rushed him to the emergency hospital and discovered he had a burst spleen and was bleeding internally. When the vet asked me how committed I was, it was a one-word response. Committed. He had emergency surgery and miraculously survived, despite losing two-thirds of his blood. The vet said he couldn't believe he survived. We must have been praying to someone. No, we weren't. He just wanted to come home to us. We knew he'd fight to come home. However, during the operation it was discovered he had advanced cancer. And despite him fighting so hard, a few days later he passed away in our arms. The last couple of weeks have been incredibly tough. And it's no surprise that when faced with devastating loss, how quickly your priorities can change. I don't think the podcast crossed my mind for two weeks. I know to some of you will be rolling your eyes, it's just a dog, but to me, he was my boy. We had a bond that is difficult to describe, so I won't try. But if you know, you know. I miss him terribly. It's a cruel world that the kindest creatures have such short lives, while the most wicked live so long. Remember that while they make up such a short part of ours, we're everything to them. So with that, I'd like to dedicate this episode to Semper, which if you know your Latin, means always. For Semper. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt. 
on the last episode of Guilt. Who killed Jordan Vidori? One thing I am sure of is I feel that he's got a story to tell that's very important to this. Either it's going to completely exonerate him or potentially not. I grew up with some nasty little Asian guys when I was younger. You know, I got in a bit of trouble when I was younger. And that shit was all behind me. There's some shady locals down there who was buying fresh snapper off, dude, and this shit was... And I told them, don't buy that shit, man, you'll get yourself in trouble. So there are a lot of little shady fuckers down there. It's been just over a month since episode 6, and I just want to say thank you to all the new listeners. The podcast keeps growing every day, and that's what it needs to to spread the word. We're getting more tips as it gets out to more people, so keep up the five-star ratings and spreading the word. In episode 6, I met Gareth, and he wasn't what I was expecting. Within a few minutes of meeting him, I'd come to realise that the warnings I'd received appeared to be unwarranted. A bit rough around the edges, perhaps, but not a cold-blooded killer. I'll admit, there's a certain amount of disappointment that comes with this realisation. At every point, I feel like I'm making headway, then there's another turn, and it's back to the drawing board. But the benefits of meeting and speaking to Gareth is information that I've not heard from anyone else. In terms of some of the dealings Jordan had with outside sources in relation to the restaurant, things that Jordan obviously didn't tell everyone, but Gareth being heavily involved in the running of the restaurant was privy to. Is it possible that one of these side dealings could have a connection to Jordan's death? In the last episode, we left as Gareth had to take a break after being overwhelmed by what he feels is a personal, unwarranted attack on himself. Let's jump back into the interview. A piece of pie to <laughs> Fuck sakes, man. Oh, I need to have a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have a quick pause. We can pause this, yeah. I turn off the recorder, and Gareth heads outside onto the balcony to have a smoke and a break. His frustration is evident. The questions I'm asking are not what he was expecting. So many of the things I've been told about his demeanour and actions of his time in Paidoa, he claims are untrue. He puts this down to what he feels is the town itself, turning on an outsider. And I'd have to agree, there seems to be an element of truth in this. Perhaps easier for people to believe that only an outsider, an Aucklander, an alien in this place, could commit such a heinous act, as opposed to one of their own. To this point in the interview, I focus primarily on Gareth, and my questions have probed his potential involvement. However, coming into the second half, I wanted to look in further depth into Jordan. I asked Gareth if he knew of any darker sides to Jordan. Like, tell me about Jordan. Like, did he have any sort of? Did you know of any sort of darker sides to him? No, at all? I think he was just genuinely a genuine good guy. Just always nice. What like, he would, if there were kids walking around the streets at night, which was quite often, his parents would be at the pub. Jordan would make pizzas for them, give them something to eat, because their parents would be spending all the frickin' dollar money at the pub. Hmm. What like, he'd literally give some of the shoe shoppers feet. If you ask a local about Jordan, and what kind of man he was in Paidoa, you're almost certain to get a reply that he was kind, generous, and that he was awesome with the local kids. 
providing free pizzas in the evenings, putting food in their bellies and helping get them off the street. This is probably the single thing he was best known for. Among all the other speculation, there was a particularly salacious rumour I'd heard that, to be honest, I didn't even want to mention. But I had to ask. I've heard a lot about kids that used to come in and stuff. Um, did you ever see him act in any way, like, no. untoward no. towards kids? or No, no. Hell no. Definitely not. No, he just stood, he liked to make sure they were fed because he knew what the parents were doing. Like, he'd been there for seven years before I got there. So he knew that what the town was like pretty good. He was just a good guy. And the kids knew that they could go get a pizza off him. So, yeah. He just, he would give it to people if he found something on trade and he didn't want it, he could just, like, he'll give it to one of the staff and, like, the way they got treated very well, considering. Now, Jordan, but yeah, dark side shit. Nah. Never, ever sensed any, any form of any dark side to him. He was just a freaking nice guy. Like one of those people there that, well, the nice guy always gets hurt. It's a sad world in which we live, where our minds even need to address these kinds of possibilities. But unfortunately, the reality is, monsters do exist. But Jordan wasn't one of them. I've asked the same question to other younger staff members that worked with and for Jordan at the time, and they've corroborated what Gareth has said. At this point in the interview, it just so happened a neighbour had decided it was a great time to have their house commercially cleaned. We wait for a time, but decide to continue, where Gareth goes on to tell me about what he thinks of the police investigation and how it impacted his own life and family. They gave up way too early, way too easy I should say. And yeah. that's well, the way they finished with me just so abruptly. Because they took my laptop, they even confiscated some of Dad's bloody rifles. So the cops came to a big sweep of my family in one hit. All on one day that they all showed up. My dad's place, my mum's place, my sister's place where I was. They confiscated my laptop. And when they just rang me up, they said, oh, you can get your laptop and never heard back from since. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? So did you get your laptop back? Yeah. Oh, you did? Which they actually ruined. Paul said that they even took his laptop for... Yeah. Yes, after they got, I got my laptop back, it was nothing, so I thought, oh, maybe they actually found something. But, no, never heard anything back. So you only, they just, did they interview you just sort of one time? Oh, no, they interviewed me a few times. And the, gosh, the detective that was doing it was like, just admit it, you did it. It's like, oh, just fuck like, off, mate. <laughs> he was trying to be the, the bad cop. And they knew, I, no, I've been in trouble with the police when I was younger, so I wasn't taken. It was just like, oh, man, just fuck off. He was a dick. The other cop, he, the other detective was actually good. He did actually listen. But the younger one, he was just trying to get his, you know, his mark, get his bloody murder case fucking solved. Even if it was the bloody wrong person. Little bastard. But anyway. I guess that's the thing when they have, um, if you've got any sort of prior, that, you yeah. know, at all. I, just... I knew that was part of it. They would have seen my prize and seen people I used to hang out with. And yeah, that's where it was just so... Do you mind me asking what some of that prior stuff might have just been? Just really stupid shit breaking and entering when I was younger. When you just doing this when I was a te- like late teenager. I did actually do three months in a corrective training centre for it as well. Oh, but it was just it was breaking and yeah, I'll close the window. 
Sorry. Yes, yeah, so I just I did some stupid teenager shit hanging out with the wrong people. That, oh gosh, after going to that train, corrective training center, it was like, oh yeah, not doing that again. <laughs> in earlier episodes, I'd speculated about how much truth there was to Gareth being in trouble in Auckland. It's clear now that Gareth had been in trouble in the past, and he openly admits to doing some stupid stuff when he was a teenager, so we can imagine what this must have looked like to the police. An out-of-towner, with a prior record, who did time in a juvenile facility, would have looked like a prime suspect. And while previous criminal history can often be an indicator of the path a person might take, it isn't always the case. Sometimes, young people do just get caught up in the wrong crowd, realise their mistakes, and turn their life around. I'm confident that Gareth fits into this latter category. As Gareth was the head chef in Jordan's kitchen, I wanted to ask him about Jordan's freezers being robbed. It seems that no one I've spoken to thus far has any real solid information in this regard, and I feel it's important to nail down exactly what the details were. Tell me about, so the freezers being robbed, you were there at the time that yeah, happened, we, what do you remember of that? I always told him to lock those freaking damn things. Well, he had some big chest freezers which had like a warm stuff the shop, and they were just out the back, you like, could have walked out around the back and just taken stuff which someone ended up doing. And he, because it was at that time when I was getting ready to come back up here, so he thought I did it, might have done it out of spikes. He did us. We didn't ask me. I said, Jordan, did, do you actually think I stole that meat? And I was the one that got it for him, for fuck's sakes. I bet that didn't come up either. And me and him went half in a big bag of oysters as well. And he got shitty about that. And I was like, Jordan, remember I paid for half of these. So if you heard about the oysters, I don't know. Well, once again, those were mine and his. No, I've, no one really knows anything about the freezers. Actually. Yeah, but I, keep, I always told him, dude, you can't be so trusting. Lock the freezers. Someone's going to come rob you one night. And sure enough, it happened. Did he have any, I suppose, no idea of who might have done it? No. But like I said, there are certain, a little group of local young guys that used to buy a bit of fish off, and they were shady little bastards. Like, they'd bring around two snapper fillets like that, but... Like, so they're catching illegal fish and just selling it off to him. And if Jordan got caught with that, I told him we can't use that here, man. Because if that's seen by the wrong person that size, you're done. Mm. Yeah, he was too trusting like that. Like they tell him, no, no, it's legal. It's like, dude, I love fishing, so I know. Yeah. Legal size snapper. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not legal. No. Thing. God damn, man. It's barely a mouthful. Gareth holds up his hands to demonstrate the size of the fish, and they're obviously too small. If you recall in episode 6, I very briefly touched on this point, that Jordan was purchasing what were likely undersized, illegal fish for use in the restaurant, from whom Gareth described as shady young people. As I mentioned last episode, it seems a stretch to think that this could somehow be related to Jordan's murder, but I'm going to need to look into any activities that were out of the ordinary or may have involved persons involved in criminal enterprise. I also have to be cautious about not chasing any red herrings. I haven't been able to track down who these boys were yet, and it's likely they were simply just some young guys trying to make a buck. But if you're listening and you have information on who these boys might have been and you can clear up this line of inquiry, please contact me via our email. You'll find it in the description of this episode. The vacuuming has stopped for now, and I can feel Gareth has relaxed as the interview has progressed. 
the gentle tapping of his lighter on his thigh, coincides with moments of deep thought, as he looks into the past, trying to recall any potential piece of information that might be relevant. It's one thing that has really struck me about this interview. The fact that, despite their apparent friendship and close relationship in the months leading up to Jordan's death, Gareth is just as clueless about what happened to Jordan as everyone else. The fact nothing was stolen leaves Gareth thinking that this must have been a personal attack as opposed to a robbery, and he's in no doubt how Jordan would have reacted if confronted, even with a firearm present. Because he was shot in the arm and it ricocheted off his arm. Oh, I don't know that. So he, he's obviously grabbed the gun. So imagine like a well, scenario. He, he's actually had, he had military training. when he Oh, was really? Training. He was in the Greek army. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So he had a little bit, I think he had never seen him use a new but I'd say he would have had a little bit of combat knowledge or self-defence stuff. No, I heard he's pretty fiery, like he probably wouldn't back down if someone was... Oh, God, no. <laughs> it was a little pit bull, man. <laughs> it was something, maybe, yeah. When he, felt, when he got zoomed in on something, that was it. He wouldn't give up until he won <laughs> or until he had to prove him wrong and then he'd just feel grumpy. <laughs> But he wouldn't get, like, aggressive for it. He'd just get, like, hyperactive, like, I've got my target, I'm going to get it. <laughs> That's, that was one of his funny quirks. It'll be funny sometimes watching him. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, he was a fiery little bugger. So, yeah, if someone attacked him, he wouldn't back down. Hell no. Because the thing... That it wouldn't matter how big they are. Or if there was multiple yeah. people. No, he would, he would do him, he'd try his best. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Because I mean, who takes a who takes a rifle to rob a pizza store? It doesn't yeah. doesn't make any sense, really. Exactly. Mm. And especially everyone everyone knew about Jordan, the type of guy he was. Mm. The other thing too is, what could he possibly be involved in that would make someone take a gun to? That's what I can't figure out, man. It's like I said, Jordan. He didn't have a dark side or anything. As far as I knew, no one had any grudges with him. Thing with that town, who fucking knows, man. How close would you say is it like you knew him, sort of thing? Because what I found down there is there's not really... He didn't have a lot of close friends in Pyro. He's sort of just the people no. he worked with. Um, you were probably one of the closest friends yeah. he had there. Well, well, like I said, I went moved down there to help him out, and he was helping me out, giving us giving me a job, and I was finding it hard to find one, so that gives an idea mm. of what type of friends we were. In fact, yeah. that I, when I first moved down there, I actually lived above the pizza shop with them. Yeah. 
you didn't know of any like relationships he had any nah. female well, while I was down there he didn't have any relationships that I know of he was just always in that bloody shop or out the back making something or up in Auckland catching up with the family so you guys would come up to Auckland sometimes together yeah normally once a week normally occasionally I'd just stay down there and chill out and do my own thing but you most yeah we'd come up here and was it Sunday or Monday night and we'd go back like in a a day's time, another on the next morning or so. What Spend would you do a day up here, I'd catch up with my family and friends, he'd catch up with his family and friends, and then we'd just head back down. Made sense. Well, sometimes I'd stay an extra night and just bust back down. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, did he ever have any staff that were that you thought were a bit dodgy or anything that worked for nah, the, that you saw? Dude, to be, I thought all those girls were freaking great until all this happened. They could get a bit frickin' lippy sometimes. <laughs> no, they, I thought they were amazing, but obviously not anymore. But I would like to see like Rebecca who does. She actually did apologise. And I did send back to her, don't ever contact me again. But I'll give her that. That must be pretty hard when you, you know, you think these people would have your back and then they turn around and... Dude, I nearly went to frickin' prison for murder. I was their number one suspect. You don't do that to someone who, especially who hasn't done anything. Holy shit, I was shitting my frickin' pants, I won't lie. I was thinking, am I going to get done for murder or murder I haven't done with a good frickin' friend of mine? Well, because these little fuckers have their, don't have their thoughts bloody right. Assumption, mankind's biggest fuck up and they assumed way too much. I kept on saying to the cops, you should be looking at this town. You guys know how shady this frickin' town is, and I kept on saying that to them. But obviously, well, power of numbers, dude. Mm. And I was all by myself. So I was, yeah, I didn't have, I really didn't have a chance until obviously the cops found out, hey, Gareth has nothing to do with this. Which, and then I never heard anything from them again once, like I said, I got my laptop back, and that was it. Communication ceased. I was very tempted to actually lay a formal complaint about that shit, that little bastard of a detective. Yeah. Like, dude, he'll get right in my face and be like, just admit it, you did it. Just admit it. It's like, mate, fuck off. Like, the first time I actually, actually met them, sorry, he actually was, oh, we'll go outside, have a cigarette. And then he turned into a dick. So he tried to do the nice cop and then went on to the back. Yeah, it must be a scary situation. It to was. Be. I will not fucking lie, dude. Well, I actually thought I was fucked. I thought I was going to go to prison for it, to be honest. I won't lie. I was fucking shitting myself. At the same time, I just wanted that town to burn. Someone there knows something. Guaranteed to you. But it's a small town, dude. They don't want that type of heat on their town because it would destroy that town. If, if, someone, if they actually find out it's someone there or someone from there, then it actually happen, that town get destroyed. After all the sympathy they sucked up after it happened. And playing, oh, poor us, poor our town. No, it's poor Jordan and his family. They're the ones that actually lost something. Yeah, man, I just... I've no love for that place, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, what would you say say to the people that... Nothing, because I've got nothing to say to them. That's what I'd say, dude. Absolutely fucking nothing. Because I don't have a damn thing to say to any of them. 
Like I said, I once thought they were all fucking great, but then that happened. No. No, fuck then, mm. as far as I'm concerned. But like I said, I'll give Rebecca her dues. She did apologise. Yeah. So I'll give her that. At least she's bloody got enough bloody, I don't know what to say. Enough reason. And you're the go. first person that's actually come to ask him my side. Mm. No one else has. So I'm, that's what I'm saying, dude. I'm sure everyone down in Pyro, they people had their little bits of limelight. I don't want limelight, I just want this. I want it to be sold, man. Jordan Neat deserves that. His family freaking deserve that. His freaking poor kids. What would you say to the people that did it if you could say something to them? Oh, rotten fucking hell. Rot and fucking hell. I hope one day Khan will come back and get them. There's no doubt Gareth carries a lot of anger and resentment over how he feels he's been targeted by the town. And if he's genuinely innocent, which I believe he is, then it's not hard to see how he'd feel that way. I know I probably would. However, when I ask about what he'd say to those responsible for Jordan's death, his face and tone visibly changes to one of pure hatred. I get the sense that he's bottled up a lot of this emotion over the last 10 years, and I start to see it coming through when he remembers the good times with Jordan. That look of anger dissolves into a smile through damp eyes. When you think of Jordan, do you have sort of like a fond memory that you Yeah, I do. What was that? Oh, just all took a lot, dude. Just mucking around with him out back, making shit, and yeah. And he's like, Arigato, Sandra, Tomato. <laughs> That's probably the fondest one. I actually do that myself in the kitchen sometimes now. Uh, yeah, that search yeah. Arigato, Sandra, Tomato. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good fond memories, too. He's a good guy. But yeah. No, it's, it's... He didn't, I don't know, whatever he did, he still didn't deserve that. Because obviously something's happened. I think it's more than just a robbery, man. Jordan lived and breathed Mykonos Pizza. Aside from those who worked for him and the store owners of the shops he used to frequent, he didn't appear to have many, if any, friends outside of this. And as Jordan lived above the shop itself, he was almost always there. Which begs the question, if he were to have some hidden, darker side to his life, where was it? And how would he find the time to do it? As Gareth had actually lived with Jordan above the store for a time and worked with him almost every day, he'd be able to give me an idea of how much time Jordan might have spare. And as I imagined, it wasn't a lot. However, as we were discussing this, Gareth gave me a new piece of information that I'd not yet heard and could be the key to the whole case. The thing is too, I mean, if you know, he lived at the store. And how many, what hours would you work in a day, like roughly? Like what time would you go home, sort of? Oh, it would vary, really. Like sometimes it would get really busy and then sometimes be absolutely yeah. dead, so. I just mean, you know, yeah. how much time would he get by himself? Because he'd be at the shop all Not the time. Not really much, only basically when he goes to bed. And sometimes he'd take off in the morning and go to errands, go pick up some stuff for the shop, or... Yeah, not really much. I basically just... When he was asleep and just for open and after close. So he didn't really have time to really have too much of a sort of devious life or anything? 
Yes, I met like it still sometimes go for drives and there in the morning and take off for a few hours. We didn't open normally till around about midday. I remember, I can't really remember. Do you recall having any immediate thoughts at the time, like fuck, it's related to this? No. Nah. Yeah. No. Nah. Not until worse. The cops showed me some things, like his GPS for his car, I and mean, when I saw a lot of the addresses where his guy was like, "Yeah, I know those areas aren't good." Okay, tell me yeah. about that. Oh, I'm not sure if I can actually mention it, to be honest. So it was something the police asked me about. Yes, I'm not sure if that's even general knowledge. Oh, so he but, was, but there was sort of he was going around some places. Yeah, that weren't good places. In Pyro? No, no, out of Pyro. Okay. Yeah, and that when I saw that, it was like, yeah, I know those side areas. I used to live down, not near them, but not far away from. Them. Are we talking in Auckland? No, no, but more south. Okay. But yeah, so that actually did erase some. They showed me that. I was like, yeah, but okay, that's. I'd never known he'd been going to those places and he'd been doing it quite regularly since I'd been there. And that got me worried. And even the cops were like, yeah, we know what those areas are. Gareth didn't feel comfortable telling me on the record what city these areas were in. However, during a text conversation later that evening, he informed me that the areas Jordan had been visiting were well-known gang areas in a large port city to the southeast of Paidoa. The question then is why? Did did you know, like, had Jordan ever, I mean, the word drugs? No, he didn't do drugs. He barely drank. He didn't smoke. He was pretty healthy. Like, he might have... He'd maybe have one, two beers after work, but not all the time. Didn't do drugs. Yeah. Like he knew that I smoked pop, but... Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not talking about sort of the hardest sort of drugs. No. That, well, at first it never really... I'd never thought about it. But once I saw those places, or well, once the cop showed me his bloody car thing, then I thought, well, I did think about that. Um, yeah, that's what I but that thing, dude, who knows, it is a frickin' mystery. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I've found absolutely no evidence that Jordan had any involvement in drugs. And the reality is that if he had, someone would have noticed. There is one other far less nefarious scenario that is possible. Trade Me. As I've mentioned before, Trade Me is like the eBay of New Zealand. People buy and sell used goods, and oftentimes, people pick up and drop off purchases directly. We know that Jordan was addicted to Trade Me. The city Jordan was visiting is the nearest major centre to Paidoa. Could it be that Jordan was simply picking up items he'd purchased through the website, and it's purely coincidental that these are some of the rougher areas in the city? It's certainly possible, but being able to verify this lead is virtually impossible at this point. Even if I were able to access Jordan's account, TradeMe doesn't save transactions this old, so the GPS unit itself would be the only way to get this information. And as that's likely in police hands, as this investigation is technically still active, they're not going to be showing me. Again, it's another tantalising lead. Although frustrating because I don't have specific locations, I do know the city he was visiting, which could become an important piece of circumstantial evidence in the future. As I've found during this podcast, the time flies when interviewing. 
I realize it's been almost two hours and my bodyguard is probably slowly cooking in the car in our scorching New Zealand summer heat. It's been a heavy interview, asking some tough questions and bringing up some tough memories. So it's a welcome change as Gareth fondly recalls Jordan's famous hat collection before I wrap up the interview and head home. Um, he loved his trade me, apparently. Okay. <laughs> buying shit on trading. But a lot of the time he was actually buying shit for his kids too. I brought this mean as Nerf gun for Steros. Oh, sheesh. That thing was cool. <laughs> so every day he'd have like some new bloody thing he'd bought. Then he was also buying a lot of stuff at the shop and he liked to collect little knickknacks and stuff as well. So yeah, he brought all types of stuff. Famous hat collection, I heard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, gosh. And that used to be uh, down at the Cube as well, down in Devonport back in the day. So he'd actually brought it from Devonport and took it down there. Yeah, it was huge, dude. There were even a couple of hats on there that I gave him back in the day. I wonder what happened to those. Yeah, I wonder where they all ended up. See, that, gosh, that wasn't even all of them. There was, like, a few more boxes upstairs. There were crap loads of them. Yeah, just all sorts. Loved hats. Yeah, all from all around the world. Yeah. Like even like indie car races and stuff like that. So if he saw someone come in with a pretty special looking hat, he'd make them an offer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he would offer like a couple of pizza or a pizza or something. So there were a lot of people that went and came a lot out of people of actually just donated hats to him yeah. as well. Yeah. He mostly got his hats from people just coming and going, oh, here you go, have this one. But if you went in and you saw these hats, I'd think, yeah. oh, you might as well make your yeah. hat part of history. Yeah, I think there was at least two or three on there that I've put there over the years. Like down at the queue. Yeah, shit. Man, it's such a shame having such a lot of score. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, um, unless you've got anything you wanted to add. No. Yeah, no, I really appreciate this, Gareth. If someone down there needs to come forward. Come on, dude. If you just look at it, look at the circumstances, for what reason, I don't know. But like you said, you've looked into that back area and you'd have to know the area to know about that. You wouldn't go down there for any other reason? No. Mm. You've got to have knowledge about that area to where it bleeds, because it doesn't look like it bleeds behind that shop. So you look straight in and it's just got that, I remember the little hut thing that was there. Mm. You couldn't really see that it went to the side. It just looked like it went into a little like tiny house type thing. I thank Gareth for the interview, and we say our goodbyes. I make my way back to the car, processing the interview on the way, and more importantly, where this leaves me and this podcast. In some ways, I feel like I've come full circle, back to the start, and a major line of the investigation has come to its conclusion. Prior to meeting Gareth, I was confident he would have something of real value to add, a name, a motive, but I've left with as many questions as I came with. If Gareth was as close to Jordan as he says in those final months, and he has absolutely no idea why, then this deepens the mystery even further for me, and ultimately leaves me with two options. Either A. Jordan's murder was a complete accident, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or B. Jordan had a secret part of his life, something he kept concealed from everyone that knew him, staff, friends, and family. Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolf. Title track is Jukebox 
by Patrick Patricios. For daily updates on the case, you can follow me on Instagram at RyanWolfNZ and our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. Opinions of guests of this podcast are just that and are not necessarily the views of the podcast itself. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to give it a five-star rating and tell two friends. On the next episode of Guilt, Who Killed Jordan Vidori? On the night Jordan died, I was sitting in bed waiting for a movie at 1.20 specifically. 1.15, there was a hell of a noise out the back of my building. It was a man and a woman fighting. It was, the, the fight only lasted 40 seconds. There was three pieces of conversation. And then everything went quiet. And because I had been under such pressure from the local dog rangers, I never took my German Shepherd around to check the block like I normally do. The next morning, of course, Jordan was found dead. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.